Hello and welcome to another creator chat from the Internet Creators Guild, an organization that's working to advocate on behalf of the increasingly large number of people who make stuff for a living on the internet. Today, I, Hank Green, am going to have another chat with Anthony D'Angelo, the executive director of the ICG, about what's happening in the world right now. We're going to talk a little bit about why I have decided that YouTube stories are good. I have thoughts about it. Also about how long it has taken and will take us to learn how to be better at using the internet as a culture, how the YouTube algorithm is encouraging longer content and why that might be bad for users. And actually one of the biggest competitive advantages YouTube has opened up for a competitor. Also, as always, we will talk about the music industry and how it's screwing us all over. Everybody, this is Anthony. Hello, Anthony, how is the internet doing? Hello. Uh, it's good. It's 2019. It's it's a new year. It's a new me. Uh, oh, and it's a, it's a new internet. It's the same internet. And Donald Trump just bought a lot of people hamburgers. So <sighs> that's my Twitter feed right now. Still talking about the hamburgers. Yeah. I know this episode's going to come out substantially after that. And we'll all have forgotten about the hamburgers. But right <laughs> now we haven't. Never forget. <laughs> Never forget the hamburgers. Yeah. There's one important piece of rather wholesome uh, internet media news that I want to uh, crack open. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the story of the egg? The egg that uh, that that has won Instagram. Yes, uh, it it beat Kylie Jenner for the most liked uh, Instagram post. And well, it wasn't just Kylie Jenner. I, I I was like, oh, good. But then I saw the picture that Kylie posted, and it's quite sweet. It's like newborn baby grab it onto her little finger <laughs> picture, and I'm like, well, that's fine. She she yeah. did post a, a video of herself <laughs> smashing an egg on the ground. Good, um, good. So it is getting a little contentious. I don't know. I I assume, I assume that that is in jest. <laughs> Perhaps. I don't know. I, it could be this whole situation, I think. I think it's cool to sort of see this sort of commentary on social media where everyone's just, you know, scrambling for attention. Yes, and that that the egg the egg can eventually win out. Yeah. There was a time when there was a potato that was attempting to have more Twitter followers than Donald Trump, but it failed. Um I don't remember if it was a potato, but it was something like a potato. And uh, and so it, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose food. Yeah. I mean, I, I too considered trying to beat this whole record, but I, I just couldn't whisk it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, if it's going to be something, it might as well be an egg. They're nutritious, uh, you know, uh, energy dense and uh, and extremely inexpensive, apparently. I'm sure that the chickens who created that egg are doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 happy for them. <laughs> I don't know the story. I don't know how it happened. All I know is that the egg won. Honestly, I just spent my morning coming come up with egg puns. I've got more if you want. Oh, that's that's really what I'm here for. I was I was gonna jump in with it with an omelet you finish. Oh, good. Well, you could you could have you could have busted that out later. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll pepper them throughout the rest right. of this this recording. Yeah, <laughs> you know there'll be plenty of chances to, to crack them out. <laughs> Ultimately, maybe we are a little bit. At this point, I think this is true. I've I've definitely seen it to some extent, like rebelling against this thing and realizing that, like, how much cool is this? Um, my brother has just gone on social media hiatus for a, a year is the goal of not posting on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Tumblr. He continues to post on YouTube because uh, I think he likes it. And also it's uh, pretty important to my well-being that he <laughs> continue to do that. Um, and and maybe his own. Uh, and and then uh, Nathan Zed just posted a video. First video 
Um, I love Nathan Zed so much. First video in, in almost a year uh, after, you know, seeing a, a huge spike in success and where he talks about how he's sort of like unannounced, just like deleted all the apps from his phone and was like, let's, uh, let's try to rewire my brain a little bit because it's been 10 years now that a lot of us have been really focused on this. It's always kind of a fallback for our brains to be like, I should check that thing. Just check how my post went and see if people are, uh, people are talking about me. If I messed up, I could have messed up and people are being angry at me or I could have been successful and people are being nice at me. And it, it does like, and I also recognize that this is happening in a way that that looks a little bit like it's happening to the people who were on the internet in 2007, 2006, 2005. And so maybe it's going to take 10 or 12 years before the real peak of internet activity, which is now, starts to be an actual wave of people being like, ah, I'm not a huge fan of this. I need to maybe re rethink uh, my relationship with this, uh, this cultural change that I, I have unwittingly been a part of. Yeah, I, I wonder to what degree that should affect folks strategies, because like what you're saying, like from from like a human perspective, that's like a good thing, in my opinion, mm -hmm. right? I think that we right. do need to sort of renegotiate the way we think about this entire kind of situation we've landed ourselves in simultaneously, like if people start doing that, that means like we're talking about a shrinking internet advertising economy, a shrinking content economy. Yeah. Um, and that could have, you know, huge implications for the industry that we occupy. Yeah. And also like we will continue to see it take new forms. And more than that, it's worthy to note that if you make content for the kind of people who were on the internet in 2005, that they may be sort of moving beyond it as a cultural place and moving more into more traditional cultural places like the physical spaces they live in. And, uh, and they, that might also just be a, a consequence of getting older, um, but it also might be a consequence of, you know, being disillusioned with the goodness of it. I think that that there's a lot of that going around. I know that I feel it, and and being aware of like how can I continue to to connect with those people? How can I like build this into the strategy of like still being helpful to those people, still making things that they like, and reaching them in the places where they are, whether that's podcasts or Netflix or you know, maybe very, very traditional media like books or what's another traditional media? <laughs> Plays, <laughs> the theater. <laughs> Tony Award winner. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to start your EGOT somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a tough place to be, especially I think if you were around back in, in 2005, 2006, 2007. Um, you know, I've, I've done videos about, about the ways in which the space has changed and yeah, I, I think that the the disillusionment that you're talking about is definitely like on the rise, um, mm -hmm. and I think for the better. I mean, I think I think that to take control of your own, you know, attention, right? Uh, it's a mm -hmm. limited resource. You have a limited amount of time, and the more ownership you have over that, uh, the the less or the fewer outside influences on that. I think that is a sense of you know independence that I don't know. I I kind of want to strive for, right? And as a uh, as a creator, though, like I want I want your attention, Anthony. <laughs> so I recent this week I tweeted something and I deleted it immediately about the current trend on YouTube of creating content that is sort of intentionally and unnecessarily long, mm -hmm. and and sort of like 
hooks you early and then gives you a long period of nothing good because you are waiting for the thing. Yes. And it's just sort of like this, like, and also the, the speed at which information comes at you is, is slower. And in my, in my day, <laughs> I, you know, we, we, recognized that no one was going to spend more than three or four minutes watching a YouTube video. And honestly, like four minutes was a long time for a YouTube video. And now uh, we're seeing, you know, 12 being more average with content going up to 30 minutes long. And I think this is very interesting because it says to me, YouTube is now not competing with Facebook. YouTube is competing with TV and Netflix in a way that it wasn't before. Like, Instagram stories, Instagram video, sure, fine, whatever. But that does, like YouTube now to me oftentimes feels like I'm going to sit down and watch an episode, not watch a video. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the strategic philosophy behind the whole switch to watch time, which is not a, a new no, uh, change or it, anything. It feels a little like we've uh, like we're finally seeing the eventual effect. Like if you incentivize watch time enough, then eventually you get content that will uh, that is optimized, like super optimized for watch time and not optimized for the enjoyment of the user yeah, like, or like anything else, <laughs> the goodness of the content. Yeah. And, and I, so I tweeted that like, Oh, was, was 2018 the year where we just decided that like our time wasn't worth anything. And we would watch creators just ramble for 20 minutes. <laughs> Cause I like, sometimes I I'm sort of professionally obliged to watch a YouTube video in which, you know, something, uh, like newsworthy is happening, but the the creator has made it so that I have to watch a 20 minute video in order to sort of get the whole picture. And I'm like, boy, you could have done this in two minutes and you very intentionally did not. And yeah. I'm mad about it. <laughs> I've actually started like skimming videos. Like I'll yep. use the arrow keys and just sort of yep. get to, okay, this sounds like it's important. This is fluff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, like to be fair, editing is hard and like, Oh, get off my no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's maybe, okay, it's, maybe, it's maybe. you editing your video is going to save your viewer much more time than it's going to cost you in time. Oh, like, certainly. Oh, certainly. Orders and orders of magnitude. Editing is, ugh. And I, I mean, I kind of, and I also feel like if you're going to do it this way, make an Instagram story. Like, oh, fine. But also, to be clear, I have also done this some on my second channel to be like, what is this like? And what is appealing about it? And how do you create content this way? Like, and I still edit those videos, but I, you know, I don't intend, they are unscripted generally, and I don't intend to make them shorter than four minutes. And so they just sort of go for as long as they go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, like part of me thinks like this this isn't entirely a new thing, right? Like there were like as like as soon as they made the change towards like watch time session time, yeah, there were videos in excess of like an hour long, you know, of people sure. playing Minecraft and so on. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's probably that phenomenon combined with sort of like the new guard of of vlogging that maybe didn't I don't know get to experience the old sort of style of editing which was which was very much based around like compression you know re remove all of the dead space um mm -hmm. you know just density 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 um and that was kind of the, the whole um the whole deal um but i guess it's, you know that incentive is not there anymore yeah and it all it, it feels a little bit like it it is now a platform that is less optimized for the creator and more optim or less optimized for the experience of the user and more optimized for the experience of 
like for the goodness of the creator and the platform. Well, and I mean, that's it's, interesting. It's, it's, I mean, it's optimized for the advertiser. I mean, that's, I mean, the, the, sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's up to, well, ultimately it's optimized for YouTube. Like right. it's optimized for Google's bottom line at some point. Um, and so that is of course optimizing for the, like, I think that in order to optimize for, for YouTube and Google's bottom line, you have to optimize for the advertiser, for the user and for the creator. I just feel like now, like originally like YouTube day one, a hundred percent optimization for the user. All we want to do is make a platform that the users will like. And then as you like say, okay, we've done that. Now we have to make money off of it. Then you start to optimize for those other things. And it just feels like we've moved le- like farther and farther away from optimizing for the user, which if you look at like legacy TV, that is an experience that is not at all optimized for the user. <laughs> you can't start an episode whenever you want. You have to watch eight minutes of ads for every 30 minutes of content. You uh, like a lot of the content is built to be stretched out to fill more time than it probably should in order to, to keep you watching and fill up 22 minutes of time um, when, when with like the fewest dollars spent on production and, and then like you see that that leaves. So, so of all the things that make me feel like YouTube is leaving space open for a competitor, like the things that people are mad about is not one of them. <laughs> like the, the, the things that people are, are mad about, like channels uh, getting taken off or not monetized or banned or like those things I think are like worthy, legitimate discussions to be having. But I don't think that that's the thing that's going to make a competitor happen because I think if you take all of the people who have those grievances and you put them somewhere else, you will have a platform that is not nice (laughs) because (laughs) they were making controversial content and they are like, to some extent, thrive on drama. And so they will create drama. I'm just saying it out loud. (laughs) Other people are thinking it. Um, but, But I think... I think the thing that does leave space open is when the user experience becomes less good. And that to me isn't about like my favorite content creator isn't on this platform anymore. That to me is like a whole competitor could emerge in which like there is maybe better monetization for creators and maybe like less incentive for con like for content to be uh something like and and like the incentive is for the content to be best for the user not best for the advertiser and that to me looks a little like tiktok right now where tiktok is clearly like optimized for time no one watches a long tiktok um and so like does that platform grow out into something where like people are spending time making their tiktoks the same way they were making time spending like spending time making their vines once upon a time does that grow out into an ecosystem that that is more uh, like has space for being optimized for the user rather than for the creator or for the advertiser? I mean, what lessons could they learn from Vine? Because I feel like every, like Vine is universally missed. Like everyone loved it, uh, yeah. But but it couldn't make money. It just there's no way to yeah to, to support a video platform uh, without you know a solid advertising foundation. Um, or subscription foundation. <laughs> yeah, uh, some 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 method of income. Like and where, that like that, where like, could TikTok learn from 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 Vine? Do you think? I think that like it would be very interesting to me if Vine had looked at Patreon and said, "Hmm, interesting." Mm. Um, not like we're going to copy Patreon, but in the same way that you now did, 
um, say like what are what are the ways in which this platform could be supported directly by audience rather right. than by advertisers, and. I don't know. Like that also introduces some perverse incentives. Like you, you see that with you now, where where like to some extent, when people are making content on you now, there is, it feels a little bit like a manipulative relationship. Sometime when you're getting, when you're paying someone fifty dollars to say hi to you, um, but like it's a business model. I'm not gonna say I love it, <laughs> uh, and you know, hopefully everybody in that situation is feeling like they're getting value. <laughs> um, I mean, speaking but, of, of of streaming stuff, I mean, yeah, have you seen the new stuff about uh, Amazon's influencer program? No, I mean, I feel like I first heard about an Amazon influencer program like three years ago, like years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they're finally sort of pulling the trigger on it. Um, they're offering uh, basically commissions for uh, for for sale of of, of Amazon stuff. Um, okay. You get a higher cut for selling Amazon things rather than someone else's things uh, through Amazon. So biggest cut is 10% of sales on Amazon's private fashion line. <laughs> private fashion product. line? They have their own clothing. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And you get smaller cuts for other stuff. Um, there's also something that's being called bounties, which is, I, I would I would have picked maybe a different name for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you get someone to sign up for Amazon Business, you get $15. If you sign someone up for Audible, oh. uh, like uh, as a referral, uh, you get five mm-hmm. bucks. And then if you get someone to sign up for Amazon Prime or the wedding registry service that they have, it's $3. Um, which I'm sort of curious to know for folks out there who've done Audible uh, sponsorships, how does that $5 per sign up compare to uh, whatever you got in your contract. I mean, I can talk about that, but only in the, in, in as much as like, I have no idea um, <laughs> because we do not know how well we convert because audible does not tell us that basically we get paid based on impression. But then when, but then sometimes audible slash someone else um, will come back to us and say, we need to lower the rate because we didn't sell enough to make this worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Or they will say like this was great, and we'll say what about more money? And they'll say eh, maybe, and we'll <laughs> say okay, more money. And then they they'll say yes because apparently the rate was the conversion rate was good enough for them. I mean five dollars per per uh, per conversion that seems pretty nice to me. I don't know. It's pretty good, but like how many humans are there that don't have Audible accounts? <laughs> 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 like there's just like there. The, the, I I feel like the amount ima- like the amount of audible advertising I have encountered in my life. There's a I'm lot just, of it. There's just I've been hit from every angle for a long time. I I feel like there has to be diminishing returns here. Yeah, yeah. I guess it might not cost Amazon that much to give you that uh, that huge incentive, right? Or relatively. Well, it's not huge. that huge. Like the the thing is, like ideally for Amazon, that you know that person's going to be an Audible subscriber for ten years. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting paid five dollars for ten years of revenue for them, right? Um, but but maybe not. Like I don't know what the numbers look like if people sign up for Audible and like half of them are out in a year. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's definitely attrition in those things. But I would I would love to know how much I'm getting paid per conversion on Audible, and uh, and hopefully it's more than five dollars. <laughs> did I? Otherwise, did I, I should my, just do that. Did I get my spot my Spotify spiel? Uh, no, last I don't time know. we recorded. I, I don't think so. So I mean, so it's it's 
2019 now, but at the end of the year, uh, end of 2018, everyone was sort of up in arms about about Spotify. Um, a lot of folks feel that Spotify is not fair to artists. Um, yeah. Mostly, the number that gets pulled up is a uh, 0.006 cents per uh, per listen is like yep. the standard payout for for Spotify artists, uh-huh. um, which is a six dollar CPM, which is not bad. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. that's not a bad CPM and it's not even, it, it's, it's, that's literally, that's per impression, uh, or per thousand impressions, not, you know, like it's right. not affected like on, on YouTube, it's, you know, not every person watches an advertisement. So you're mm-hmm. not getting, you know, a direct view to, to money, you know, sort of pipeline. Um, but on Spotify they do. Uh, and so that sort of struck me as sort of weird that people were, were, were getting so upset about a six hour CPM. Um, and I sort of looked into it and realized that Spotify, you know, I, th- I think it is actually quite a good, quite a good deal for artists. The problem is that they are, uh, they're splitting the money with yep. uh, record labels and that like a significant chunk of that money goes to the record labels for, for Spotify. Generally uh, the streaming uh, royalties, the mechanical sync rights, um, you know, an artist might be getting 20% of that. This might be changing because of the, the Music Modernization Act. But usually what happens is you get about 20%, 15 to 20% um, of the money earned on those mechanical wow. sync rights. Uh, and the rest goes to uh, the various rights, right holders at the label, the producer, um, you know, sure. songwriter, and so on. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, people who, who deserve, I, I'd say, uh, are deserving of that cut. Yeah. Um, Simultaneously, it's like the label's taking a big chunk of it, and ten percent of so so Spotify gets thirty percent of that six dollars CPM. The rights holders get sixty percent, and then the performance rights organizations BMI, ASCAP, etc. They get ten percent. So ten percent of the money is spent wow. on figuring out who gets the money. <laughs> wow, that's a racket. Yep. That sounds like the kind of industry that should stop. <laughs> I mean, like I recognize that they, and I have always found it strange that ASCAP gets back to me so fast when I want to like license something for, you know, like a hundred CD print run for 15 cents and I'm sending them $15 and they're like, yep, here's where you send it. And I'm like, who are you real person that can work all day long for $15 rights emails yeah but I mean, apparently they got plenty of cash sitting around <laughs> i mean to be fair they they do need to work hard at that like i mean if you look at the the amount of money the music industry was making you know in the late 90s early 2000s yeah before everything you know went bad they, they genuinely did like lose a ton ton of money um, yeah but uh but that's because they weren't making their own spotify <laughs> right yep so you know steve jobs comes along with itunes and says you know hey uh Here's a legitimate market uh, that you can sell your music through online. This is what people are yep. going to be doing. This is what you obviously need to do. Uh, by the way, that'll be thirty percent of all the money uh, that right. you owe me. That was that's like and a it's life sort of all, It's sort of all based on that. Yeah, I mean these these record labels they'll 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 go out and complain about about these rates. Um, they'll they'll complain about you know the the low payout and so on. Spotify streaming services like these, it's not just Spotify, it's also iTunes and so on. These services are the only profitable sector of the music industry. Like this is the only part that's yeah. been making money for the past 15 years. Yeah. And they're complaining that it's horrible for artists. So I, I don't know. I saw someone literally tweet like, wow, I can't believe that people admit to using Spotify in 2018 in, in the context of um, you know someone posting their uh, their like 
yearly wrap up, like you can post a bunch of stats about your, your listening habits. Right. Um, yeah. People were basically shaming people for, you know, for, for sharing, uh, that for, because they for like being Spotify users. Yeah. For being Spotify users. And I'm like, if well, you look at the arrow of streaming revenue, it's going to be people like record labels are going to be making more money off of streaming than they were making off of CDs in the nineties in like two years. Yeah. And yeah. And they won't be like ruining the planet with, you know, <laughs> just, just with servers. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but like they live in, in the eighties and nineties, they were literally buying plastic factories so that they could get like the lowest possible wholesale price yeah. in plastic to make oh, CDs yeah. and tapes. Sure. Um, they spent billions of dollars like investing in these, in these resources, not realizing that within like a decade there yeah. would not be a market for it at all. Yep. Um, and then they, you know, complain that they're getting the, the, you know, the sore deal. It's like, no, 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 you get a better, you get a better deal, uh, than like most people on the internet. <laughs> like YouTubers would kill for a $6 CPM on well, like a per view basis. That's the other thing. Like they're like, it's only 0. 0.006 cents. And, and, and then it's like, well, what do you actually want? And they're like 0. 0.007. <laughs> which also sounds like a miserable amount of money, but like it's a huge difference for them because all of this stuff has nothing to do with like the per stream cost. It has to do with the fact that, you know, Drake had billions of streams on Spotify last year. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't know. There's only like four labels, right? Three, three now. Yeah. Uh, which is terrifying. Um, I don't know. Like I, I was going to make like a whole like vlog about this and I realized kind of halfway through, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I use Sp I full disclosure. I pay for Spotify. I don't want to like su seem super biased, but like, I feel like I need to like justify my like bona fides as like, you know, an actual person who like cares about artists. Right. And like wants to support them. It's like, I'm buying, you know, Bandcamp stuff. I'm buying, you know, record right. and whatever. Um, I also pay for a Spotify subscription and I don't think, I don't know. I just thought it was really weird how frustrated people got about that people uh, were on like the label's side on this. Yeah, yeah. Like, ah, like, it, it, like yeah. they're literally they're called labels because of the sticker they would put on the physical product that they were manufacturing and distributing, right? Yeah. If you're not manufacturing and distributing a physical product, like, what's what's a label for, right? A it's, label is for financing, right? You get an advance, but you have to make yeah. back the advance before you make any money off of the sales. Uh, that you yeah, get. but so a lot of people don't like that's I mean, that's the that's the business model. The thing is that like now they have existed for so long and they're so powerful that they can just make money. They <laughs> like they know how to it, it is just a business. It is there is no creative industry there anymore. And and I don't know, like the fact that we haven't gotten away from this is amazing to me. Like, why does anybody work with these things? When they take such a big hunk of your cash and what like maybe a lot of it is so that like the entire music industry can be consolidated into three companies and they can get good deals out of YouTube and Spotify, <laughs> which they do. They, they really, they really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, I don't know. But like the real quote, like, I don't know. I feel like kind of the question we're getting around to is like, how are, how are these companies different from what YouTubers know as MCNs? Right. I feel I've always like, thought MCNs and, and labels were very similar. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that there is a one, you know, there is a, 80 years of like labels making themselves like figuring out how to make themselves necessary. And two, there is a spirit among internet creators to like, look at the numbers and be like, what the hell, why would I pay 
any percent of any of my money, I should do this all myself. You know, there's maybe an amount of connection between the audience and the creator that if at any given moment, the like the value proposition shifts in favor of the MCN, the creator is going to be like, that, that relationship is now over. And they're like, but you have a contract. And they're like, well, then you can have my YouTube channel, then I'll start a new one. And uh, and all like a lot of the power now rests in the hands of the of the I think there's a really interesting conversation about why YouTube content creation lends itself toward an independent model in a way that no media has before. And like there are no publishers in this industry. Right. And will there ever be one and two? Why isn't there yet? And why won't there be if there won't ever be? Yeah. I mean, if you look at Hollywood, right? Like I was, we, we, we were going to talk about the, um, uh, the new rules that YouTube uh, sort of clarified recently um, regarding profanity, right? Yeah. Um, basically, the idea is, you know, don't, uh, don't put curse words close to the advertising, right? Like you, you need to uh, avoid that uh, in the first, you know, minute or so of your video or like, you know, the first section of your video. Um, uh, you shouldn't put profanity in titles and, and so on um, and, and thumbnails and descriptions, right? Uh, yeah. but like, there's some amount of profanity that's allowed. Uh, there are just sort of different degrees of, of curse words, right. Uh, which we will not be saying here, uh, but, yeah. uh, uh, you can go check out a tube filter article about it if you're, if you're curious. Um, but, uh, that type of rule would have been imposed in the past by, uh, by, by studios, right. Right. By, by movie studios. Um, yeah, would be... it would be very, it would be very rare and weird. And, and also in terms of the music industry, it'd be weird for like the consumer, like the radio station, for example, to be like, we're not going to play this song. It wouldn't get to them. Right. You know, there were sometimes it happened when radio stations were like, we're going to ban this song um, that like a record label put out. But usually that wasn't about language. It was about like message. So mm-hmm. the message would be like too much about like, you know, killing your husband <laughs> was one of them. You know, Loretta Lynn got uh, some songs banned because she's uh, tired of getting pushed around by her man. I'm gonna, <laughs> kind of songs. I'm going to shoot you a link uh, to what's the best way. There's a chat. Um, I'm going to shoot you a link to the Wikipedia page for the motion picture production code. Um, oh, okay. So, so check out the, uh, the pre-code don'ts and be carefuls as proposed in 1927. So the production code uh, is, is this, um, or the Hayes code, as it's sometimes called, is this set of rules that um, the movie studios adhered to back in the thirties. Um, basically there were some Catholic dudes who decided that like movies were ruining the youth. Um, yeah. And so sure. they had something Familiar. called, they had something called the national league of decency uh, that was basically a, a censorship board. Um, all of the studios in Hollywood decided, yes, we will uh, adhere to these rules. It was a self-imposed uh, regulatory uh, uh-huh. measure, and so you've got these um, <laughs> these these fun. I uh, think this 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 wording is just so fun to me. Um, uh, be it further resolved that special care be exercised in the manner in which the following subjects are treated, to the end that vulgarity and suggestiveness may be eliminated, and that good taste may be emphasized. Uh, emphasized. So, like one is like the use of the flag. Uh, mm. uh, number six is brutality and possible gruesomeness. Okay. Uh, 
there's um uh sympathy for criminals needs to be treated uh uh. oh yeah they also like don't like interracial marriages um or images of men and women in bed together no mention of uh of of men and men or women and women in bed together. So yeah, no, I uh, imagine that wasn't, that didn't come up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be, you know, super you know, by the book here, there were no rules against. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the, the famously gay friendly Hollywood of the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like sort of the point of bringing this up is, is that like, there seems to be this, this conversation, like, I, I don't know the, the YouTube, world the sort of creator world um has this really i think base like punk rock attitude right like we don't want uh our, our content generally speaking we you know we don't want um anyone you know controlling what we do what we say what we're allowed to say and right now like the only force that's doing that is either like youtube or journalism right like people calling you out for saying right. something bad um, mm-hmm. there was a Twitch streamer recently who, uh, was, was banned by Twitch for, uh, for passing out on live stream, right? Uh, okay. drunk and passed out on live stream. Like th- that's, you know, that's bad. I think pretty agreeably it's bad, but yeah, I mean, an interesting thing is like, like it, these platforms kind of are looking at it from the, from the perspective of like, what is good for us right? and what is going to be too bad for us. And what and what determines what's too bad for them is mostly like public opinion. And you know, I I guess that is also true of the motion picture whatever code thing. Like it yeah. was it's 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 about like not crossing a line so that you don't have people like boycotting your platform. Right. And figuring out where that line is is gonna be not an exact science, which is frustrating. Yeah. I mean the National League of Decency, which was sort of the enforcement wing uh for, for this or right. one, of, one of the the ways in which this was enforced was was really kind of a a loose organization like it was mostly like local leaders like local priests and stuff um yeah that had their own kind of opinions and and, and structures one guy came up with a, a rating system uh to <laughs> to apply like letters like a pg-13 type thing mm-hmm. uh to to movies it's the rating is M O V I E S. So it's movies spelled out as an acronym. Good, good, so sure. M means moral menace. Oh. O means obscenity. V okay. means vulgarity. I is immorality. E is exposure. And S is sex. And that is like <laughs> a, a precursor, like a legitimate precursor to what we currently have, which is like the G P G P G thirteen R R rating. Yeah. And then we don't, but we don't have that for online video. There isn't like. Uh, there's very little public facing um, rating in our industry right now. There is basically just either over 18 or not. Mm-hmm. Theoretically people. Yeah. And then there's like kids app stuff. So this has fallen apart to some extent. And, and like there isn't a thing that pops up in front of a YouTube video that says that this is going to contain profanity, like these words and, and maybe like, maybe that's coming someday. And it will contain like, uh, you know, like obscenity and also vulgarity and also drug use and also nudity even. Um, whereas YouTube right now is just like nudity is not okay unless it's like scientific and drug uses. We're not sure. And weapons are like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I could see it being something where you let people choose 
And oftentimes I've even wanted that. Like when we were doing the brain scoop, I like we created a system that let people know how gory a video was going to be because it was a video about like it was a it was a series that was you know like about working in museums in natural history museums and part of that is preparing like samples and that's like can involve you know skinning a wolf and so you're going to watch a bunch of wolf organs in this video and if you don't want to see a bunch of wolf organs like we want you to know that that's about to happen <laughs> if you if you aren't down to to see a scoop of brain yeah someone what the, what the show's called did 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 emily ever actually scoop any brains on on the brain scoop i bet i bet there was brains that got scooped yeah <laughs> i don't remember any specific instances but brain. there is a, a literal device called a brain scoop that you know, sh- showed in, I think, the first episode. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, like, the cool thing <laughs> is that you can show that stuff, even though it is kind of nasty to some people and, and not, right. you know, in their wheel. Yeah, the, the, there is definitely more freedom now. I mean, it can feel less like it because once, because you know, it, it once you have give, been given the opportunity to create content on a platform and then that opportunity gets taken away, that feels like a much more significant hit than just having it denied to you the whole time, which was to be clear, the situation before 2006 everywhere. Yeah. Or I guess maybe before 2000, like the, the internet did allow you to post stuff on it, even if it was not good, yeah. even if it wasn't going to get, you know, distribution. Yeah. I mean, we're sort of talking about regulation. Like I think one place that comes from is, is the platforms, right? Like we're not, we're not opposing it ourselves as you know, was done in the past by, by the major uh, publishers and distributors. Um, but also people talk a lot about like government regulation lately. Um, you know, everything's again, broken. Uh, the government is shut down for, you know, almost a month now. Uh, yeah. and you know, TSA workers are walking off and, and you know, our food might have poo in it. Uh, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, lots of folks out there are interested in having a regulatory conversation, uh, re- regarding, you know, Google and Facebook and, Amazon and so on. And, and it's like, yeah, is this the administration we want? I think I said this before on the podcast, like, is this the administration that we want to, to have that conversation with? Right. Uh, I don't want personally, I, I I'm of the opinion that it's a very bad idea to have the Trump administration have any kind of hand in proposing regulation for, for, for our space. Uh, right. Like that's, that's not the people who we want to be, to be, you know, making up rules. Uh, for now, you know, we're dealing with, with YouTube and, you know, lots of people have, you know, complaints about that. And, and, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, the various ways in which that can be fixed, but, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That, that seems to me like a, a major, uh, mistake. Like, like, I think that what people see is, as, as the problem is like, you know, 2016 election happened, Trump's president, uh, that must've been because of Facebook or because of YouTube right. or, you know, and there's been a lot of really good work done um, on how people use these platforms in a way that kind of radicalizes them. If you, if you watch some videos about, you know, 9-11 conspiracy theories, you will keep watching them forever because YouTube, you know, uh, keeps serving them to you. Uh, mm-hmm. But this also sort of depends on an old theory of media, uh, like an old way of understanding media as, as, as like a magic bullet, Right. Uh, as something that just changes people's minds, like that the creator's intent has an absolute uh, uh, kind of grip on, you know, the viewer. Uh, in reality, things are a lot more complicated. Uh, people are, 
you know, they're, they're a lot more affected by their friends' opinions, right? The opinions of people around them. Um, where was I going with this? I was going someplace with it. Uh, where did I start? Um, <laughs> what did I start? Do, do we want this, this world to be the one that does these regulations? Yes. Yes. Like, right. Do we, do we want this administration to be coming up with regulations? Um, right. My, my issue is that I don't think that, uh, you know, YouTube and, and, uh, Facebook are the only places to look, um, you know, for these problems, you know, look at, look at TV, look at Fox news. If we want something that's regulated more like television, right. We're looking at, uh, uh, basically a lot of the same problems, right. Right. Uh, it's, it's not exclusively YouTube and Facebook that are, that are radicalizing people. Um, you know, it's new and it's, Oh tragic. yeah, no, <laughs> uh, but like, no, yeah. Like elderly folks who watch Fox news are, you know, they have look at Tucker Carlson. This guy's terrifying. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's there and he's like actually like affecting a public opinion. Um, and it's, 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 it's scary. Like that to me, it, you know, that's a lot more scary than, than YouTube where at least you have some, uh, I don't know, some a- more agency than you would on television just as, you know, a factor of the, of the user experience, the way it's designed. Yeah. I mean, I, like understanding the process through which, through which radicalization occurs, I think is important and an important thing for YouTube to consider. I, I constantly waffle between wondering whether, um, you know, it's better for these platforms to, to work themselves out before governments start trying to get themselves involved and, uh, and we'll figure out solutions for these problems. But then I want to watch a video about the moon with my son and I type in moon, just the word moon into YouTube. And the top result is a freaking conspiracy theory video. And I'm like, <laughs> come on with oh, 265,000 no. views. I'm like, wow. Wah. Oh no. Uh, so anyway, uh, th- I, I, I do agree that this is a, this is hard and like whether like who wants to be making these like doing this influence and making these decisions, is it like a common, like, I guess, I mean, it's going to have to be a combination between governments, the platforms themselves, the people who use the platforms, both users and creators, and also just public opinion at large, because ultimately like the, the, you know, control we have over companies is how like, you know, like controlling how they can make money. And if we decide to not use the platforms anymore, they do lose money unless other people come in to replace us, which at the moment on YouTube is happening just fine. Um, But I think that, you know, it's also like, I think that Facebook is taking that very seriously now because they have actually seen a little bit of what it looks like for their platform to become less popular because people have a negative opinion of it. Yeah. Which they do. (laughs) <laughs> which they do. I have one last thing I wanted to say before we finish up here. Yes. I've been using YouTube stories and I like them. And here's why, because when I make Instagram stories, no one listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in a very literal way, because when you're on your YouTube app, you've got your earbuds in or you're ready to hear noise. When you're on Instagram, <sighs> you are not ready to hear noise. You are yep. looking at pictures. Yep. And so you have to either turn on your audio in the place where you are not intending to have audio turned on, or you have to like figure out your headphone situation. Whereas when I make a YouTube story on YouTube, everyone who starts the story is ready for there to be audio. And so I can talk. <laughs> <laughs>
And that is all I wanted to say about the only difference between YouTube stories and Instagram stories, besides the fact that like YouTube stories is a less good product right now because it's newer and doesn't have cool features is that it's the only way it's better is that I can expect people to listen to me and people will listen and it's great. And we have good conversations about interesting stuff. No, no, no resurgence of, uh, of, of silent films then. No. Uh, that that is sometimes how I feel about Instagram stories. It's like, how can I get this idea across without people having to turn their audio on? Yeah, captions. Yeah, I guess that sounds like work. Captioning, captioning a caption that that would be actually a really great feature for them to implement. Captioning. Yeah. I don't know like, if there was some kind of like uh like yeah like it it auto well, this is a good idea like it auto captions you and then you can like with a tap fix stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably coming. Yeah accessibility and people yeah. who why haven't they done that <laughs> yeah they could do that <laughs> they're facebook they know how to do everything pretty you know except you know, fixed democracy but <laughs> yeah except for that they cannot do that yeah all right uh it's time for me to go to the doctor's office because i think i have a sinus infection oh boy everyone oh boy. around me has sinus infections oh my goodness Oh, well, as always, great chat, Anthony. Thank you for hanging out. Oh, certainly. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this ICG Creator Chat. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating on iTunes so that we know what you thought of all the things that you listened to. It also helps bring new people to the podcast and spread this knowledge that we have even further. We would also love to hear from you at IC Guild on Twitter and at Internet Creators Guild on Facebook and Medium. The Internet Creators Guild was created by and for creators who believe that making stuff on the internet is one of the very best jobs. We aim to bring together internet creators to make their profession more sustainable and work towards that mission through education, community building, and advocacy. You can find out more and get involved at internetcreatorsguild.com. The ICG Creator Chat Podcast is produced by Marianne Fernandez-Silva and ICG's Executive Director, Anthony DeAnne. Angelo. It's edited by Eric Schneider. Special thanks go to our board of directors and our advisory board. Thank you all for listening and keep creating.